This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Independent news commentary with a California perspective, featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 14, Episode 13, Putin Scores Own Goal, Sweden and Finland to Join NATO. In conversation with Pierre Morcos, visiting fellow at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Vladimir Putin's invasion and war on Ukraine have had many unintended consequences. As an example, NATO has become more unified and focused as a result, and his long-term goal to halt the expansion of NATO is in tatters, as neutral Sweden and non-aligned Finland are applying to join NATO. Prime Minister Andersson of Sweden and President Nisto of Finland met with President Biden yesterday at the White House to push forward their plans to become members of NATO. With us today to discuss this historic realignment on Russia's northern European flank is Pierre Morcos, French diplomat and visiting fellow at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. Hello, Pierre, and welcome to the show. Hi, Jim, and thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Pierre, please take a moment to tell us about your biography, your career as a French diplomat, and your work with the Center for Strategic International Studies. Sure. So, so as you said, my name is Pierre Marcos, and I am a visiting fellow with the Center for Strategic and International Studies, CSIS, which is one of the leading think tank in Washington, D.C. on national security issues. And myself, I am part of the Europe, Russia, and Eurasia program, which works on uh, European security and defense issues. So I have spent uh, the last year and a half working on these uh, topics. I have written a lot of articles, engaged with uh, U.S. experts, with the U.S. media, on social media too, to to try to analyze uh, this uh, region with a French and European perspective. And as you said, I am also a French career diplomat. So before joining CSIS in 2020, I worked for the French Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Paris, and I was part of the so-called Strategic Affairs Division, Mm -hmm. uh, where I was in charge notably of of NATO and and European security and defense. And uh, I was sent in Washington as part of a long-standing partnership between uh, CSIS and the French Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which was created 10 years ago and allows some French diplomats, some some young French diplomats to, to go to this think tank community and try explaining the French and European uh, positions on on these uh, issues. So this is clearly quite a unique experience where I have the liberty and opportunity to to better understand how Washington DC works, to better understand the US debate on this issue, but also to explain to uh, my uh, US uh, colleagues uh, what is the perspective of France and Europe. And after these two years fellowship, I will uh, join embassy in Washington, D.C., so actually this summer in a couple of months, uh, where I will be political uh, counselor for an additional two years. Well, congratulations, Pierre. It sounds like a a very exciting career that you've had so far. 
your work both at CSIS and then your upcoming appointment in the summertime as political counselor at the French Embassy in Washington. So congratulations for a job well done and look forward to seeing more work from you and articles and opinions. But let's move on to our subject today. So why, after 73 years, is Sweden and Finland about to join NATO And of course, NATO was founded in 1949. Why has it taken them so long to join NATO? Well, that's a great question uh, to start our conversation, Jim, uh, because indeed, uh, Sweden and Finland have a long history of either non-alignment or neutrality when it comes to military alliances, which is uh, due to their history, but most importantly to their geography, because they are both neighbors of Russia, Uh, Finland shares uh, an 800-mile-long border with with Russia, uh, which is quite a powerful uh, neighbor. So both countries were uh, quite mindful of not uh, provoking Russia and striking a balance between being full members of the European community and the European Union while not having a destabilizing relationship with with Russia. So they had to strike that difficult uh, balance. So Mm -hmm. that's why... They were not part of NATO because they thought that it was important to, to preserve that, that difficult balance. But clearly, the war in Ukraine has completely changed their perception of the security situation, but also their trust uh, regarding uh, Russia. They had quite a, a, constru- a constructive relationship with Moscow. They had regular interactions with, with the Kremlin, so they thought that they could have a stable relationship with, with Russia particularly the brutal war of Ukraine and the fact that Russia is not uh, respecting his words, is not respecting the international rules-based order, is is a shattering moment for both Helsinki and Stockholm. And they have decided that it was the moment for them to align themselves with with NATO and with the US-led alliance because it was in the interest of uh, their uh, security. Uh, And just one one quote to, to finish that, that answer. The president of, of Finland, when explaining why his country was deciding to join NATO, he just said, look at the mirror, uh, because clearly the fault is in uh, the hands of, of President Putin. He was the person responsible for such strategic shifts. They had to do it because it is in the interest of their nations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Tell me, has... Sweden and Finland, have they had any contact up to this point with NATO? Do they have any links to NATO at all? Or is this a completely new relationship for them? Well, that's a very good point, because indeed it is not a complete change of of, of strategy uh, when it comes to uh, Finland and Sweden. They they have uh, built over the years quite a deep partnership uh, with NATO. They They have been since... 1994 uh, partners, formal partners to NATO, and they have contributed to many NATO-led operations, notably in the Balkans in the 1990s, but also in Afghanistan. They are regularly training with uh, NATO troops. So actually, in terms of military armed forces, they are already quite interoperable with uh, NATO forces. But also from a political standpoint, uh, Finnish and Swedish authorities are regularly associated to uh, NATO consultations. And it has been 
quite reinforced uh, after the invasion of Ukraine. And we have seen uh, Finnish and Swedish officials invited to many, many uh, NATO uh, meetings at the highest uh, levels. So their integration to NATO is, is quite deep. So that's why it is often said that their integration and membership to NATO is just a technical uh, matter because they are already part of the organization uh, de facto. How long will it take for their application to be processed and for them to become full members? Because that's a we're, we're at a critical moment here when they're not yet in NATO, therefore not subject to the full protection of NATO, I guess. And would this be a moment of weakness where Putin might strike against them in the hope that since they're not actual full members of NATO at this point? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the accession process is a twofold process. First, there is a negotiation between the candidates and uh, NATO to make sure that they fully meet the criteria of the alliance, notably having democratic institutions, capable armed forces, but also a positive contribution to the security of, of NATO. This phase should be short uh, for Finland and Sweden, because as I said, they already meet the, all the criteria uh, needed and asked by NATO. And the second phase is the ratification of the protocol access, the access protocol by every 30 members of the alliance. So that's the part where it could be, it could last a couple of months, even more. Uh, in previous instances, it uh, took until uh, one year, if not two. So that's the, the, the experience we have. So indeed, both countries won't be full members of the alliance until a couple of months, even more. And that's quite a sensitive period because they won't be covered formally by NATO's collective defense and its Article 5. And we could think that Russia might attempt to, to destabilize the process, to, to force both countries to change uh, their minds. Having said that, many countries have already provided bilateral assurances to, to these countries to, to make sure that they will stand by them in this transition period. This is the case of the United States and President Biden yesterday when the president of Finland and the prime minister of Sweden were in Washington, D.C., he officially said that the U.S. will be shoulder by shoulder with uh, these two countries during the transition period. But this is also the case of countries like the U.K. or France. So we know that the main needing military powers will stand by Finland and Sweden during this transition period, which could last uh, many months. Well, I have two I have two further questions for you. First of all, I read that Russia turned off its electricity to Finland mm. and then immediately Sweden was able to because Sweden is a net a net exporter of power of electricity, they were able to hook Finland into their grid so that they didn't skip a beat. So mm. Finland's electricity is now coming from Sweden as opposed mm. to Russia. So that was a good move. But mm. then I, I read also this morning that Russia had turned off the natural gas flow to Finland. So there, there are two concrete steps that Russia's taking mm. to show its displeasure against mm. Finland. Unfortunately for the electricity, Sweden could step in. I don't know about the natural gas, who's going to step in for that, but are there... Are there any other, other strategic areas where Russia could 
uh, could negatively affect Sweden and Finland before the accession takes place? Well, first, it's important to to remind that both countries have not taken this decision lightly. And before the, the formal decision to join uh, NATO, so the May uh, 18th, they had a long internal process to evaluate the implications of such a decision and long debates in Parliament with the, with the civil society. So I think they have prepared themselves for such uh, scenarios. So mm-hmm. it's not a surprise that Sweden uh, immediately provided electricity to Finland. I'm sure that Finland has backup plans when it comes to the, its uh, provision of, of gas. Having said that, indeed, uh, we could expect other destabilizing moves coming from Russia. Russia has already uh, conducted cyber attacks, for instance, mm-hmm. against Sweden and Finland uh, in the recent months. We know also that Russia is also deploying its aircrafts, its boats in the region to, to test the sovereignty of these countries and to see if they would react and uh, escalate. So they want, they will try such hybrid tactics they have already used in, in the past. But Russia has been rather moderate in its reaction since the formal decision has been taken. Hmm. Um, the president of Finland has called personally Vladimir Putin a mm-hmm. few days ago to explain him his decision. And President Putin responded in saying that of course, Russia won't be pleased and will take some measures, but considers that Sweden and Finland uh, do not pose a threat to, to Russia. And the foreign minister of Russia, Lavrov, also say that it won't change a lot when it comes to the balance of uh, the, the region. So I don't think that Russia will necessarily take any dramatic moves in, in the region. It will just showcase its discontent. It will also probably increase its presence we have heard that the defense minister of Russia has announced the creation of new military bases in uh, in its uh, western flank. Uh, so clearly, Russia will try to rebalance its its military posture. But I don't think that, for instance, Russia will necessarily attack uh, these these countries. It has other priorities to to address that have been in Ukraine. Let's come back and talk to one of the key NATO members who has actually come out and said that they're opposed to Sweden and Finland joining, and that's Turkey. Of course, as you said, in the accession of new members to NATO, it must be a unanimous decision of all 30 members. And Turkey has expressed its displeasure with Sweden and Finland for harboring PKK terrorist organizations in the view of Turkey. PKK, of course, is the organization that represents the Kurds. The Kurds have a large minority in eastern Turkey and have often been at loggerheads almost uh, on a war footing with the Turkish government. So, so Turkey is trying to use some leverage there. Tell me about that. What, how serious are Turkey's objections to Sweden and Finland joining NATO? Well, it's very hard to say because before uh, the formal decision to, to join NATO, Turkey was not necessarily expressing opposition uh, to that enlargement. Mm. It only recently said that it was reluctant, if not opposed, to, to uh, welcoming Finland and Sweden in, in NATO. And I think that Ankara is just having a, a transactional approach to, to this matter and trying to, to leverage its uh, veto to gain some some concessions, uh, mainly from uh, Sweden, uh, because Sweden has indeed quite a 
a strong relationship with uh, the Kurdish uh, people and uh, movements. And there are intense negotiations between Sweden and, and Turkey, especially. But at the end of the day, I don't see Turkey blocking fully the enlargement of NATO because Turkey also values uh, the alliance and its importance in the context of the war. And, and Turkey has been quite remarkable in its support to, to NATO, notably by blocking the access of the Black Sea from Russian uh, warships. So I think that Turkey will at some point uh, lift its veto, especially under the huge pressure coming from the US and other allies, but we'll try in the meantime to have some, some concessions. And it's not the first time that Turkey is trying these tactics. And it has already in the past blocked some NATO decisions for, for national uh, purposes. And it's, it's not new, so we are used to it. And I know that there are currently quite intense negotiations behind closed doors with Turkey officials to, to convince them to, to withdraw their, their uh, opposition. So I don't think that's a huge stumbling block. We should take it seriously because indeed Turkey could block it. But at the end of the day, I think that it, it will be solved at some point. Also, uh, just on one closing thought about Turkey, Turkey strategically should be very happy that Sweden and Finland are joining NATO because Russia is now, in response to that, Russia is now announcing new bases in the western flank closer to Finland. And that would take a little bit of pressure off the southern flank where Russian troops are facing potentially a threat to Turkey. So you would think that from a strategic point of view, the the Turks would want to see Russia have to spread out its forces up to the northern part of Russia and maybe weaken the southern flank. Yeah, no, I fully share your, your view, uh, Jim. And I think that Turkey actually has not said it was opposed to their membership by principle. It is, indeed, it is in their strategic interest to have uh, them as, as NATO members. But it's just a matter of, of difficult bilateral relationship between uh, Turkey and Sweden. So that's uh, the, the main problem for the moment. But from a strategic standpoint, Turkey indeed has many interests of having uh, these countries as members of NATO. Let's talk about geography, because you alluded to Turkey and Turkey under the Convention of Montreux 1936 actually controls the Straits of Dardanelles. So those straits, of course, give access to the Russian fleet coming out of coming out of or going into the Black Sea. And Turkey actually controls passage of all shipping, including Russian military shipping, Russian military vessels, naval vessels through those straits. So once again, Russia's Russia's geography, certainly on the Turkish side, works to their disadvantage. Let's talk about Russia's geography on the Baltic side, because when Catherine the Great established St. Petersburg as the capital, its window on the west, and an ice-free port, that wasn't really the end of their problems, because in order to access the North Sea and the Atlantic from St. Petersburg, you have to sail past Sweden, and then you have to sail through the narrow strait of the Skagerrak, which is the strait between Denmark and Sweden. So now, on either sides of the straits, you're going to have two NATO members. So 
so I guess that was one of the reasons that Russia was opposed to Sweden joining because that very critical Skagerrak passageway is now controlled on both sides by NATO members. Well, that's a very good point indeed. And that's clearly in the interest of, of NATO of having a, a better control uh, and access to, to the Baltic Sea and, and Northern uh, Europe. But it won't prevent Russian access to, to these seas because uh, according to international law, they, they, there is a freedom of navigation principle. Uh, so they should be still able to, to navigate in this uh, region. And again, even before Finnish and Swedish accession to NATO, both countries were already trying to, to control that area to, to, to strengthen their maritime presence uh, there. So having them part of NATO is not necessarily changing their defense posture. It was already a reality that there was a growing competition in that region. Having just a NATO flag in this country is, in these countries is not changing this uh, geopolitical situation. I see. Let's let's come back to Article Five of the NATO Treaty mm. because that that of course is the the crux of the treaty. That if one nation is attacked by an, by an outsider, all the other members of NATO will respond and come to the aid and assistance of that one member. Has that article ever been invoked in the seventy three years of the NATO alliance? Has it ever been tested? Well, yes, it has been tested once after the 9-11 attacks in, in 2001. The U.S. decided to activate uh, Article 5 and to ask uh, solidarity from its members. And almost every uh, member of the alliance responded uh, positively and contributed to the U.S.-led operation in Afghanistan. Uh, so that's the unique example, but it uh, clearly showed a, a strong transatlantic solidarity in, in, in re- very difficult uh, times. But beyond that historical example, Article 5 is almost on a daily basis tested uh, by, by NATO uh, members. They have already drafted uh, plans, uh, defense plans, in the event of a potential invasion from uh, Russia. Uh, they are training on it. There, there are many exercises uh, uh, across Europe to, to test these, uh, these plans. Uh, and actually, when Russia decided to invade uh, Ukraine three months ago, they activated parts of these uh, defense plans and deployed uh, rapid reaction forces probably in the Baltic states and in uh, Romania. So, so NATO is, is actually investing a lot in these collective mission, uh, collective defense mission. This is clearly its DNA, and it is preparing for such scenarios. Mm-hmm. Now, we've heard over the years that some members of NATO are not pulling their weight, are not contributing enough, uh, that their defense budgets are woefully inadequate, that they're very low. Is there a set target that every member of NATO is supposed to spend on defense? If there yes. Are, yeah. What yeah. Is, and there, what is that? Well, there is one. It's called the Defense Investment Pledge, which was agreed by NATO members in 2014 in, in a summit in, in Wales, UK, uh, where all members agreed to uh, spend at least 2% of their go- gross domestic product, mm-hmm. uh, GDP, uh, by 2024. So that's the famous target, 2%. And every members have tried to reach uh, that uh, target. And it became really 
quite a, a sensitive and burning issue under the Trump administration because Washington was really pushing European members to spend more. And it, it's, uh, it was partly a success. Many have uh, decided to, to do it. And the war in Ukraine has accelerated uh, this trend. Uh, and, and many, many uh, members of the alliance have taken historic decisions to, to spend more. Uh, chief among them is being Germany, which has announced to spend an additional 100 billion euros. So mm. that's quite a consequential decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will certainly reach now the famous 2% target. So the trend is really positive. I think that most NATO members are now on the right path uh, to, to respect that target, if not already. So now the question is where to spend that money in the best efficient manner to make sure that we have the same platforms, we are remaining interoperable, we're investing in high-end capacities. So that's the next debate. But clearly, the question of burden sharing and different spending was the key issue of the last few years. Mm -hmm. Now, NATO headquarters are located in Brussels, and the Secretary General of NATO is Jens Stoltenberg, who is, uh, he's a Dane, is he not? He's a Norwegian. Norwegian, excuse me, a Norwegian. Well, uh, again, a fellow, a fellow Nordic, a fellow Scandinavian. Yeah. So that's got to be a plus. Uh, for as Sweden and Finland join NATO, how will their commands be integrated into NATO commands? Well, first, uh, they will have to send uh, officers, liaison officers, to NATO military headquarters, and, and these officers will have notably to better connect NATO headquarters with the Finnish and Swedish one. Indeed, the main mission of NATO is to make sure that the 30 armed forces are fully interoperable. So that's the main goal of the organization. So they will try to better integrate Finnish and Swedish armed forces, even though, as I said, they have already a long-standing relationship with, with NATO. So they have already quite a good track record in that in that regard. Uh, so I think that would be quite, uh, quite easy. Well, Pierre, in the remaining few minutes of the podcast, do you have some closing thoughts for our listeners as regards NATO and this historic decision by Sweden and Finland, who after 73 years have now decided to join NATO? Any closing thoughts for our listeners? Well, as you said, we are, we are living historic times. This decision from Finland and Sweden to join NATO is really a huge uh, step and a big decision for their two nations. I know that there are sometimes concerns that it might destabilize Europe, it might be seen as a provocation uh, from Russia, but these two countries has a long, have a long experience of cohabitating with uh, Russia, uh, and they know how to uh, preserve a form of stability with their powerful neighbors. So I think that this decision will reinforce NATO. This is clearly a fantastic news for the organization, which has been rejuvenated by that crisis and more united than ever to push back against Russia. Yes, as we were talking earlier about the, the law of unintended consequences, Putin, when he first decided he was going to invade Ukraine, could ne- would never have thought that he would provoke NATO into becoming even more unified and provoke both Sweden and Finland to seek the protection and join NATO. So the law of unintended consequences. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Pierre, I want to thank you very much for sharing your experience and your thoughts and insights with our listeners today about this historic move by Sweden and Finland to join NATO. And all the very best of luck to you when you move on to your next assignment uh, as you leave the Center for Strategic International Studies and you move on to become a political counselor at the French Embassy in Washington. The best of luck to you. And we will always welcome you back here to the San Francisco experience for your insights and for your knowledge about international relations. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. It was really a pleasure to, to share some thoughts with you and I hope to to be back in your show uh, sometime in the future. Well, we will certainly, the door will always be open and we'll certainly look forward to it. And for my listeners, as the San Francisco Experience celebrates its second anniversary, thank you for your support. We are featured on 19 podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, among others, with listeners in 50 countries and all 50 states. This has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, coming to you from America's favorite city, San Francisco.